God, I thank you that you're here now. Lord, I thank you that your son, your son Jesus, whose power transcends anything in this life and this world. Uh, we turn to you as good shepherd today looking for guidance. I thank you you're a God of love, you're a God of new spiritual life, you're a God of fresh starts. I thank you, God, that where we see things as impossible, you see them as possible. I thank you that that is the nature of who you are. In Christ's name, amen. So, I think all of us have experienced some form of pain, frustration, at mistakes that we have made. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, Um, but if you're human, you probably have experienced that. If you haven't experienced that, it's a different problem uh, of being unaware of your humanity. Um, And more likely than not, you've also experienced this in relationship to someone else. Uh, You... You hurt someone else in some way, either by something that you said, or maybe you didn't say the right thing at the right time, by something uh, that you did, or maybe not doing the right thing at the right time. I think all of us have experienced interpersonal relationship pain. And I know even that at me bringing up the subject, you may be feeling some pain. And I want you to know that God loves you. God loves you, and that God, who is your creator, who, according to Psalm 139, knew you in your mother's womb, knows you better than anyone else, and does not want you to go through any unnecessary pain. God loves you, and he wants to bring healing to that pain. And that can be in a moment, in a miraculous spiritual way, but also God's given us some guidance to help us see healing to those things and to avoid unnecessary pain. How many of you would be interested in that? I was, uh, we've been talking uh, really since summer, uh, strictly every week about Jesus. Uh, You can uh, find those uh, talks on our website. Uh, Today, here's here's our title Jesus helps us forgive. And I know even just with that title, Jesus helps us forgive, I'm introducing some tension and some questions into the room. Uh, I'm going to do my best to uh, address those and to be helpful today. We're going to look specifically Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 35. Uh, Before we turn there, I have on the screen a scripture that really just stuck with me this week and was really affecting me because I think it communicates really well a part of what we've been trying to talk about ever since the summer. The Son, referring to Jesus Christ, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Now you notice something, that the author of this letter does not talk about Jesus in the past tense. This is written, a letter written to people, from people that knew each other. They had relationship. And some of these people had seen Jesus alive walking around the earth with their own eyes and heard his voice with their own ears. And he was no longer with them. But they did not refer to him in the past tense, even though he was no longer with them, because they knew that he was alive. They knew that they could still talk to him in prayer. 
They knew he was living, but they knew this one really important truth that I kind of feel like I've been trying to get into our spirits, our heads, ever since the summer. Jesus radiates God's glory and expresses the very character of God. Early on, God describes himself as faithful and patient and kind. And then Jesus revealed the love of God in that way. And this, this is, relates to, it's the foundation of this morning's topic, but it just stuck with me. I'm hoping that you are enjoying looking at Jesus from a number of different perspectives, from the text, from the eyewitness account, but I'm hoping that you're only getting more and more curious about Jesus. That's, that's my hope. That's my desire. Before we turn to Matthew 18, let's just think about a couple of foundational things that Jesus said. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Would you like to be shown mercy? When you stand someday before the living God, the perfect one, and give account for your life, would you like to be shown mercy? I would like to be shown mercy. And so a motivating factor for me to show mercy to others is that I desire to be shown to, to be shown mercy. And Jesus gives us specific guidance. And I think it's easy for us to, oh yeah, Jesus the good shepherd. That's so nice. It's like easy like Sunday morning. It's like easy listening music. Some of you know the song that I'm talking about. Some of you are a little too young for that. We can have, oh, it's kind of an easy, warm, fuzzy, gooey thought of Jesus as a shepherd and not understand that that means I need to follow his guidance. And this is a part of his guidance, that God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. So what are we talking about? Let's just, we're going to give a little bit of definition today to make sure that we understand the difference between what I am saying and what I am not saying, what the scripture is saying and what it is not saying. God's forgiveness is a commitment. It's not an emotion. It's not good vibes when you, when, when you make God feel that way. It's a commitment to pardon graciously those who repent and believe so that they are reconciled to Him. And it's made possible by Jesus, our sacrificial Savior. So it's Jesus who makes this possible. Looking a little bit more, also Matthew 5, Jesus says, God blesses those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. And clearly it's important because Luke 6, 37, Jesus says, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. I know... Already, some of us are planning to not go to the family Thanksgiving because we don't want to talk about politics. I know, here we are, we're going into 2020 and we're already in a state of, I can never forgive them again for who they voted for, or for what they believe, or for what they think. I'm going to get a gun, it's going to be civil war. Whoa, whoa, time out! That's not the Jesus way. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, gives us very clear, transformative counsel, guidance, which, by the way, is not possible if you try to do it in your own strength. Some of you are already feeling like, here we are in a church, they're talking about fantasy. But apparently to Jesus, it's really important, which is why in his, the power tool he gives us of his prayer, we see Matthew 6, 12, this Line, forgive, Father, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. 
You notice with Jesus, there's this conditional aspect to it. His love is unconditional in ways, but there is a conditional aspect to it. And Jesus had a genius, genius Jesus. Because he knew that if he could turn us into peacemakers, the world would have a chance at being more peaceful. A God kind of peace, a shalom that makes all parties healthy and right. So, let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Um, not going to read the whole section. I'm going to read the specific guidance. Verse 15, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. I thought he said sue them. No, he said take your case to the church. Uh, That's in second opinions. Uh, Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three together gather together as my followers, I am there among them. I've heard lots of people quote that last verse out of context and still holding grudges. And that's why it lacks power. Now, this issue that we're talking about today is big, it's painful, and it is complicated in some ways and simple in others. And that's why I want to refer you to one of many of our resources on the subject. This is something we deal with at great length in Celebrate Recovery, which meets here Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. It's something that uh, we deal with in great length, the different books that we have to offer, and our, our small group leaders and others can help you with some of the specifics of this. But let's just take the plain, simple truth of what Jesus is saying. Forgiveness is important. Forgiveness is possible. And Jesus helps us forgive. But here's some of the principles that Jesus says in this first passage. And then he, the reason why I list through verse 35 is because then he tells a really serious story to help us understand how important God sees this to be. So if I just take the plain, simple truth, if I read that passage, what Jesus says there 25 times, here's some plain, simple truth principles that we would see. When there's an offense, when there's been harm, when there's been injury, go privately in person. Now, Jesus, that was before social media came about, and I could really just air their, air my grievances, like Festivus, the holiday for the rest of us. There's a time for an airing of grievances, right? No, actually, Jesus says, go privately in person. So, no, no, go get someone who is like a righteous person who you know will agree with you and tell them how bad that person is. No, Jesus says, go privately in person. No, I want to gossip about them and passively aggressive bleed, bleed my pain all over the known universe to anyone who will listen to me first. And then my attitude will be right enough to have a conversation about it. No, Jesus says, go privately in person. And what's very clear, number two, speak with restoration as the goal. The goal is not for you to injure them because they injured you. <laughs> Jesus is saying some crazy stuff. Speak with restoration as the goal. Are you providing that person 
a smack upside the head or a ladder up to what can be done to make amends. Number three, describe the sin and its harm. As Desmond Tutu, South Africa and post-apartheid movement and many in Baltimore here with the revenge homicides that are so often a daily part of our life here in Baltimore City have learned, real reconciliation does not happen if you don't name the hurt. So describe the sin and its harm. Number four, restore the relationship. That's the purpose. No, 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 that person's toxic. I'm going to walk away from them for the rest of my life. I see a lot of life coaches on social media telling you what relationships you should walk away from. I think there is a time and a place where that's appropriate if you're following the steps of Jesus. Number five, if unsuccessful, repeat the process with qualified help and restoration as the goal. Jesus doesn't say, go get the two baddest dudes that will lay a smack down on the person. Jesus doesn't say, go find the people that will injure the person for you. No, Jesus says, go find someone else. If you take it in context with the whole language, original language is what Jesus is saying, take someone else who is also focused on restoration as the goal. Right? Qualified help. Now, I put that there because then also, if it's unsuccessful, we repeat the whole process and bring your case to the what? To the church. I just want to tell you, y'all are some wonderful, lovely, mature folks. This happens maybe two times a year. I'm sure it's just because we're all going privately and everything gets worked out the first time. I'm sure that's the case. (laughs) Number six, God loves people in unity. Come on, that's the obvious thing. God doesn't want us injuring each other. This is not, hey, like, just forget forget it happened. No, Christianity is not a sweep it under the carpet religion. Let's all pretend and let's just sing to make ourselves better. Novocaine for the brain. No, that's not what following Jesus is supposed to be. God loves people in real unity. Where we can have a conversation and name the hurt with a commitment to love each other. God's peace should be our purpose. Number seven, God's peace should be our purpose. I find that that uh, enthusiastic uh, speech on my part is inadequate. So I want to give you a little bit more in the way of content. Offense, the word that Jesus used here, it's important for us to understand that it's actually the word sin. If somebody has sinned against you, a believer has sinned against you. And what that word means with the word choice that Jesus used is to act contrary to the will of God and or the law of God. Now this is important because, again, we don't want to take the words of Jesus out of context. I'm offended because this person was patient with me. That doesn't make any sense. Why? Because that's consistent with the the will of God, that we would be patient with each other. Am I making any sense? If I am not taking time to investigate who God is, what God is like, I don't know what's contrary to his will. Was that too deep? I get accused of messages that are too simple. Was that too far? Like, if I don't investigate who the will of God, what, what God is like, I can't know what the will of God is. If I can't point to scriptures... To, 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 to scriptures and say this is the will of God, then I can't know what an offense against me is. I just didn't like how it felt. Was it done intentionally? Is it a sin? Honestly, there's some stuff that we just need to let go of. 
Sometimes we get, we get injured and there's an unresolved injury. And so we get emotional bruises all over and God wants to heal those bruises. But then what happens is we walk around and we can't receive love. And my life used to be like this. I used to be this person. I was in so much pain on the inside with things that were unresolved that I was not able to receive real love from people who genuinely cared. That was a part of my journey, and I'm happy to describe it to you at length if you want. But what happened was I was in so much pain that then I became a fault-finding person. Healthy relationships do not work that way. I started to build my legal case and I had my mental file folders because, you know, men's brains are like file cabinets and women's brains are like computers. It's just for another day. But I would build my legal case against the person. But some of the things in the case were not actually offenses. Some of you don't like me. Don't worry, we're going to get to some stuff where you might. How, what does an apology look like? If I And, and we talked about this on, uh, as it so happened um, Oh, Wednesday night, celebrate recovery. If I take all of the scriptures and I boil it down to a really simple definition, what does a Jesus-honoring apology look like? I'm sure you were wondering that. The person who's apologizing should say something like this. This is what I did that was wrong. Fill in the blank. This is what I did that was wrong. I hear you that this is the harm it caused. Fill in the blank. Now this is a part of a conversation, right? Because you can't say this if you haven't heard from the other person what the hurt is and what the injury that it caused. Are you with me? It's really important. We, some of us are carrying around pain about some of our most... with the person we're sitting next to because we've not properly in a a real way, dealt with some stuff. We're carrying some unresolved pain and anger. And we need to have an actual conversation. We need to give the other person a chance to say how they are hurt and what the damage it caused. And then we, in an apology, say, this is what I did that was wrong. I hear you that this is the harm it caused. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I make a commitment to not do that again by the grace of God. Now, how you say that is really important. If you say it with sarcasm, I don't think we're in the Jesus apology category. Are you with me? I'm sorry. You know, the the very first uh, Bible verse my mom ever asked me to memorize was because I was uh, partially not nice to my baby sister who is no longer a baby and who is wonderful and and really perfect in every way. Uh, But I often uh, incurred harm and um, found it like I was really not good at apologies, too. I'm sorry. Right? And so the the first verse that my mom had had me memorize was, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, some of you are looking at me like cattle looking at a new gate. You should look that up. It's a really good verse. So how we say it is really important. And if you need to take a breath to make a decision of your will, to say it genuinely. Some of us make a mistake of like, I can't reconcile with that person because my emotions are in this place. 
A reconciliation, it affects your emotions, but it's a, power, it's a decision of your will. A lot like following God, a lot like coming here on a cold Sunday morning. It's a decision of your will. And you might need to take a breath to make a decision of your will. This is what I did that was wrong. I hear you that this is the harm it caused. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I make a commitment to not do that again by the grace of God. So that's the kind of apology that Jesus is talking about in these words. Now, let's look at forgive and forgiving, what those words mean in this context. To give up resentment, uh, resentment of, or claim to, requital for. To grant relief from payment of. To cease to feel resentment against. Excuse me. I want to give a little bit of an analogy that I found to be helpful with this. Uh, not original to me. So if, and everyone here is perfect, so no one would do this, but if someone injured me, if someone hurt me, and in my mind, I was holding them in a prison cell so that they would be punished for the wrong that they've done against me. If in my mind I'm holding them in a prison cell for the wrong that they've done against me, and then I'm holding in my hand a key that represents my right to see them punished. Okay? What forgiveness looks like is I let go of the key and I let God choose how they are punished. I'm giving up my rights to whom? My creator who loves me, who wants what's best for me. See, we need to understand this because some of us are, some of us have physical ailments. We're seeing doctors for things that at the root cause is unforgiveness. And I can point to psychological mental health research that, that points this out. When you have unforgiveness in your life, it causes an emotional stress that produces itself in physical ailments. And it really is right here. Am I holding on to the right to see them punished? Or am I willing to let go to God, who is the God of justice and mercy? You notice that God's forgiveness is made available to all, but ultimately not received by all. Those who refuse to repent will be judged, and you are not able to judge them as fiercely as God will. We need to choose to trust God. That sounds so simple. I know! But in our human experience, it's not simple. But it's simple. Will I choose to trust the one who created me, the only one who knows me totally, and the only one who loves me perfectly? If I will choose to trust God, the creator, the perfect one, with my hurt. Trusting God is at the root of it all. This is a part of the root system of addiction. As well as, will I trust God with my needs? Will I choose to trust God and let go of the key 
that represents the right to see that person punished. I can see we're, we're getting real now. I recommend a book called Unpacking Forgiveness. Unpacking Forgiveness. I, I don't agree with 100% of everything in the book, which I say partially just to get you to talk to me after you read it. But um, I think it's really helpful on this subject. We also see on the screen the word forgiving. And this concept is also in the scripture, but I never hear anybody teach about it. Forgiving is allowing room for error or weakness. So I had a friend growing up who was a compulsive liar for a number of reasons that are painful and I I don't want to make fun of. But the poor guy just could not have a conversation without lying. He couldn't tell a story without lying. And I don't mean exaggerating. I mean lying. Like, bro, you weren't even there. Right? And I could forgive him for lying, but if it's a thing that is repeated and that is constant, for being forgiving means I make an allowance for the fact that he's probably going to lie again. Now what the love of God looks like is that I choose to believe the best, but I also, and there's scripture for this, I also make room for the fact that he may be lying again. And let me give you an example of how that might look. I could be gracious when he's telling a story about this, that, and the other, but I might pause before I respond, because he knows that I know, to see if then he confesses that it was all a lie. A gracious pause is a way of being forgiving. Are you with me? And it it gets more complicated, many more examples than that, but making room for that person's defective character is a way to be gracious, it's a way to be forgiving. Repent. The word repent that Jesus uses that's an essential part of this process, if it's going to happen in a healthy way, means, and when I say, listen, this is what I did that is wrong, I repent, right? It means a turnaround. God is the God of a turnaround. I'm talking about a change that's not possible in your own strength. I'm talking about a change that is like miraculous. I'm talking about like that guy not lying anymore. A turnaround in actions and attitude to change behavior as a result of complete change of thinking and attitude. That's what the Bible word means. The main message that Jesus taught, Matthew 4, repent. Jesus calls us to a turnaround. That's really good. That, I need like an organ playing behind me. That, 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 like that'll, that'll preach. That'll preach. So, again, the Matthew 18 restoration principles... Go privately in person. Man, I wish Jesus didn't say things that were difficult. You know, there's a genius in Jesus saying things that are difficult. It brings us to a place of being dependent on Him. An inexhaustible resource. The ones whose love never runs out. The one who has faithful, patient, and kind love that's not human. Being dependent on God for his help with this is genius. Because if you depend on your own strength, it will always fail. Go privately in person. Some of you have had the uh, unpleasant experience of coming with to me with an offense and having me ask you, have you spoken to the person? Now the reason that I ask you that question is because I'm trying to honor Jesus. 
I think some of you were distracted by the cute babies who didn't hear what I said. Let me try that again. <laughs> some of you had the unpleasant experience of coming to me with an offense from someone else and hearing me ask you, have you gone to that person to talk to them? Why would I do that? Pastor Ben, you're mean, you're nasty. It's for your best interest. Because it's a Jesus genius idea. Go privately in person. Number two, speak with restoration as the goal. So you've got to name the hurt. You've got to state what happened that caused the injury and what the effect of the injury was. You lied to me compulsively and that has caused me to feel that I can never trust you. Right? You've got to name the hurt and the, inj- the, the harm that it caused. But then, you should also give some a ladder up, some help. It would really help me if you would apologize to me and not lie to me anymore. Right? Now, whatever the offense is, it may be a more complicated thing that you need to ask. But... Jesus is really clear. We're supposed to speak with restoration as the goal. And if I'm speaking with restoration as the goal, that means I should say something about how amends can be made. About how what is wrong can be made right. I don't like that. Yeah, but it's a God idea, so that means that God can help you with it. If it's a God idea, God can help you with it. I feel like that needs to be said again. If it's a God idea, God can help you with it. Speak with restoration as the goal. Describe the sin and its harm. Restore the relationship. And I have, um, I have some notes for you today that I'm going to give you that speaks more to some of these points. If unsuccessful, repeat with qualified help. Get qualified help. And again, restoration is the goal. Number six, and I think this is really important for us. God loves people in unity. God loves people in unity. God loves people in unity. The scripture says that when that happens, there's a commanded blessing. I have actually found, um, uh, some of you don't know this, but... I had a job for eight years going to different churches across the U.S. and spending at least a week in each church. It was kind of like a graduate school. And I found something to be really interesting. There were two main causes that I saw that churches were not growing. One of them is this. If it's an atmosphere of pain and gossip and not following Jesus' clear instructions about how to handle an offense... Those places don't grow. You can have all the programs in the world, all the comfort in the world to help heal pain and to do lots of good things and to sing really good songs a lot better than like not make the mistakes I did today, calling a fountain a mountain and whatever. You know, you can do all the good things. You can have the best food and a church will not grow because people can smell a toxic atmosphere where there's gossip where things are not handled in a right way. If we want our friends and family, neighbors, co-workers, to find this church as a safe place to find and follow Jesus, where their lives can be changed for the better, 
it's our responsibility to handle this the right way. It's not going to be perfect. Because we're not perfect. And so we're going to mess it up. But you know what the amazing thing is? God can forgive us. God can forgive us. God can help us forgive each other. God can help us make it right. God loves people in unity. And the last point there, God's peace should be our purpose. Some of you have been in the the series of teaching we've done before on the Shalom Peace of God. I recommend the YouTube video from the Bible Project on Shalom to understand what God's peace means and what it looks like. But it is a transformational peace that brings each person to a place of being healthy. Listen, the inside of you needs peace. And I don't mean like, hey, shut up. No, I mean being fully healthy. Being fully healthy. Having a sense of calm, safety, a sense of identity, a sense of belonging. The inside of you needs peace. Your relationships need peace. Your home needs peace. Your street needs peace. Your neighborhood needs peace. Our city needs peace. Our state needs peace. Our nation needs peace. The world needs peace. If Jesus followers don't have it, they can't bring it. Yeah, can you help me? So I'm handing out some notes just to give us a little bit more information on this subject. I recognize that you might be feeling pain right here, right now, in this moment. And I want to encourage you that we have lots of people in this church that are actually pretty good at this. That I'm not teaching this today because we're bad at it. Actually, growing up, our pastor taught on this often and practiced it faithfully. And I think it was a major reason that we grew so much. So much and it was a place of health and It was a place where people from all walks of life came and found transformational healing. This is a really important thing for us. And I want you to know, the love of Jesus is transformational. It's not limited. It's not limited. And so if you find this hopeless, maybe it's because you've tried to walk this out in your own strength in the past. I want to call us to making a decision to bringing God's strength into our lives and walking it out with God's strength. Can we pray? Let's just pray.